Hello and welcome to this episode of The Pod Presents Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTOcraft and Skillawale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow, where questions have to have a single right answer. And questions can be closed and archived because they're considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer, and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we're going to take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers and the context that makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skillawale. We do live team coaching for tech teams, which is problem-based learning with feedback from a live expert, targeting individual skill gaps for that team-level strategic outcome, all happening within working hours in small time units. I've been a CTO for about 10 years. I ran tech leader dinners in London for three or more years, and those are actually returning London folks. So uh, get in touch with us if you'd like to come to those. And I've also been a CTO coach. And one thing I've seen again and again is that the same questions come up repeatedly, but with different answers every time because context is critical. Today, we're going to be discussing the question of whether every company or your startup in particular needs a career ladder for engineers. And I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Marco Rizzi, the ex-CTO of Everly and currently head of engineering here at Skillowell. Hi, Marco. Hi, Awel. Nice to to be here. I'm super happy to be here. This is going to be my first podcast in English, so I'm a little bit excited uh, (laughs) and I'm happy to discuss and talk with you about the engineering ladder because I believe it's a very interesting topic. Awesome. So to start with, let's set the scene and talk about what an engineering ladder actually is and what do we mean when we talk about one. Yeah, sure. Uh, I always like to start with the definition and I'll try to give a very simple and easy definition. I believe that we can say that uh, an engineering ladder is a growth framework for engineers. Basically, it's a framework that uh, uh, defines role and expectation around each uh, level uh, and also define job title for each level of this ladder. And as you, as you said, it sort of marries together personal progression. So it gives you a way of saying, where can I grow? What should I do next? With career progression, which is what does it take to gain this new level of seniority, presumably get promotion with increased salary that comes with it? Yes, it does. Actually, you, you have mentioned salary, and it's an interesting topic because uh, In my experience, I have seen that uh, engineering ladders can be tied to salary ranges, but it's not uh, mandatory, uh, I would say. For example, in my personal experience in in the company that I was working before in Everly, where I uh, kind of built an engineering ladder, the main reason why I thought it was important to have uh, an engineering ladder was not related to salary or monies, but the reasons why we needed it were different. And that experience might be good to dig into a little more, actually, because probably some of our UK listeners won't have heard of Everly. So can you talk a little bit about what the company does, the size of the engineering team, and then when along that journey you decided that you needed an engineering ladder and so you started to introduce one? Yeah. So let me also tell you a little bit about my uh, background experience in Everly because I think it might be interesting. So I joined Everly, which is a grocery delivery company back in 2015. And actually being an Italian 
startup. The name was not Everly, but Supermercato 24, which can be translated as Grocery Store 24 in a way. Uh, and I joined uh, as a full stack developer. The team, when, when I joined, was very, very small. I was the first full stack developer in the company. And luckily, over the years, the company grew a lot. I got promoted to CTO right after some months. In short, when I left the company in August, the, the engineering team was quite big. We were in 69 engineers. And uh, at some point, uh, I realized that I definitely needed something like an engineering ladder uh, because, you know, uh, there were like a, a chaos. Uh, you know, um, every engineer had different job titles. Someone joined as a full stack developer, someone else as a um, backend engineer, someone else as a senior backend engineer. So, you know, when you are growing as a company at some point, I believe that you need something that helps uh, you, you know, put the things in order. And in my case, uh, I guess it was when we were around uh, 50 people or something like that. So... Yeah, I would say that uh, you probably don't need uh, an engineering ladder uh, every time. It depends, as we always say during this podcast, right? So probably <laughs> I, I would also say that uh, in early stage startup or within when you have a very small team of engineers, you probably don't need an engineering ladder uh, because it, it might also be counterproductive in a way, or negative, but yeah, when you are scaling, it's definitely necessary. And usually, I guess that when you realize that you need an engineering ladder, I think it's already late, right? But I would say, if I have to give a number, probably I would say that, uh, yeah, when you have an engineering team of, I don't know, 50 uh, members, then it's probably a good time to start building it. And it sounds like you, for you, it brought a lot of structure to uh, quite a chaotic organization, right? It brought structure and harmony between the different roles that people had. I suppose the danger of introducing one too early is you're then slightly committing yourself to a structure which you might then discover is inappropriate, right? If you have an engineering ladder at 10 people and then you hire another 20 and you realize that the roles that you need have completely changed. The way that you think about levels was was wrong. There's a lot of rework involved in that. Yes, I believe you are right. Also because, again, from my experience, I would say that uh, even though also this type of framework uh, are not and should never written in stone, it's not like building code or building product or building software, right? Where it's very important to be agile and constantly and quickly iterates. I guess that with, uh, you know, management and these type of things, uh, it's uh, better to work uh, with a slower pace. And especially at the beginning, you probably need uh, to change things very, very quickly. And um, some framework for uh, these type of things might be, as I was saying before, uh, negative and counterproductive because... It takes time to build uh, a ladder. And uh, yes, as you said, you then have to commit and stick to it and probably 
it, it would be better to be sure and maybe wait some time and implement it when you're sure that you have realized uh, a point where the company is uh, somehow stable in a way. Absolutely. And I suspect the difference there with code and iteration is that with code, your servers don't really care about the old version of code that you can quickly deploy a, a new version and your servers don't mind. Whereas with an engineering ladder, if someone has committed to going on such and such a course and is actively working on improving themselves in order to progress. And then you say, ah, no, sorry, the rules have changed. The, the bar is now in a different place. We're looking for different qualities. That's a very frustrating thing to hear if someone's been working hard towards a goal that then moves. Can you talk a little bit about its role in scaling? Because I think one of the things about an engineering ladder is it gives you a way of communicating across a business what a role should look like and what good looks like. Yeah, exactly. I believe that there are many reasons why you need such framework. And uh, um, especially when you are scaling, you realize that you need to have something that will help you define and clarify responsibility and expectation within your engineering team. So this is the main reason. But also at some point, you have people in your team that will ask for promotion and they will look at their future and they want to know how they can progress, how they can grow within your company. And you have to offer them an answer in a way. And this answer, let's say, it should be public and clearly defined and equal to everyone within the company, right? Also, from my experience, I can say that when you're growing, you are not uh, the one managing everyone, right? Which means that you have other managers that, that, that are doing managerial jobs. And you don't want to have a personalization between team, meaning that uh, an engineering ladder can help you reducing bias. Because at some point, you know, there might be circumstances or episode when someone in your team said it is easier to get promoted with manager A mm. because it's, uh, I don't know, easier and nice going and he has maybe, or they have a lower barrier in a way and one mm. other manager might be more uh, hard to satisfy in a way. I don't know if that's the proper term, but having some framework can help you reduce this bias and personalization within team. And ultimately, I believe that this is also helpful because uh, it's a tool that lets you have meaningful conversation between you and your manager. And again, when you're scaling, you cannot be everywhere, right? So if you have something like this in, I don't know, 101 or performance review, you can actually discuss around specific topic uh, that are written and uh, clarifies are, 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 are around all the companies. So conversation should be easier. I don't know if that makes sense and also it resonates with your experience, Haiva. It, it definitely does. I think it has an important role in communicating and setting those standards, but also, as you said, removing manager bias. And I think that bias can be unintentional. As you said, it can just be people having different standards. But I think it also has a role in diversity and equity, that if we can 
remove from that any intended or unintended bias, if we can remove that from the process of how we evaluate people's progression and growth, then we remove another potential source of um, of unfairness that would keep back underrepresented people. Because often, if, if left to themselves, I think there's a danger that people say, well, the person I want to promote to work more closely with me is this person who, I don't know, I hang out with and likes to come out to the bar with me after work on a Friday, where the person who chooses not to come out to the bar, I'm giving a really trivial example here, but you know what I mean, um, (laughs) might then get overlooked. And that isn't the way that we want our our companies to run. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the idea of having different paths through the progression framework? Because one of the abiding topics, one of the, the conversations in software leadership that will never end i think is having to choose between a management path and a technical path whether you have to make that choice and whether the the progression framework should allow for that or whether you really need separate progression frameworks for technical people and managerial people yes sure this is the usual and common split in every engineering team, meaning that, uh, yeah, it's pretty normal that in companies that are growing, you have a, a technical part and a managerial part. In, in my experience, I have called them a maker part and a manager part because I like the maker word. It gives a better idea of what uh, engineers do. But yes, I think that at some point you 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 need to have this kind of split, and uh, I would say that uh, it's not that easy to split. Meaning that uh, you know, being a maker or being a manager, some somehow and sometimes responsibility are kind of blurred, especially if you go up through the ladder. Because uh, I think that, for example, the ability to influence people. Is, is, is an aspect that is not uh, a responsibility only of, of a manager, but also a technical leader has to be able to influence. Also, one other thing that I can mention is that I believe that sometimes we believe that the coaching or the mentoring activities are things that only manager have to do. While I believe that uh, it's not true because, because I believe that, uh, especially for technical skills, and we can see also in what we do at Skiller Whale, right? It doesn't have to be the manager that uh, is the coach when it comes to, you know, hard skills. But yeah, every company probably should have uh, at some point a clear definition between maker and manager because uh, they have indeed different uh, responsibility but they are blurred yeah different responsibilities but some skills in common as you said right there are skills around communication and mentoring and supporting other software engineers that should be present in both in a way it's a it's almost a difference of focus because you still want your management track people to have some level of technical expertise i think i think you at the very least want them to empathize with technologists for example these uh, technical uh, expertise and skills uh, just j- this is just an example it is important for a technical leader when it comes to take technical decisions while for a manager 
uh, having a solid technical background is important when they have to make a decision around priority, how to prioritize things, because they are maybe, if they have this background, the decision around prioritization is done better. I mean, I think it does make sense because, as you said, people who are in a manager role need to still be able to prioritize the either the work or the progression of the people who are reporting up to them, which requires a non-trivial understanding of the technology that's in use and the challenges with it. So you might not need to still be a software developer yourself or still be writing code to be able to achieve that, but you really would need to understand different parts of the stack. You would need to understand that, I don't know, adopting Kubernetes probably isn't going to fix bugs in your client-side front-end code, for yeah. example. Also, another example, maybe this is a better one or another one. From my experience, usually managers are the one responsible for the budget. And so they are responsible also for you know the make versus buy dilemma so whether we should build something or buy something and i believe that uh, in order to be able to make a good decision you have to have some kind of technical background and of course you can ask and you should ask and involve also uh, other people uh, stakeholder but also mm, tech lead uh, in this uh, uh, discussion but of course, it is helpful if you already uh, have some kind of solid uh, technical background. Definitely. Part of that comes down to just knowing the right questions to ask, I think. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any opinions on the names that are given to different levels in the framework? So in earlier companies, you often see kind of junior or, or associates, mid-level, senior, maybe principal. If you look at larger, more established companies, there'll be more layers that are numbered, so there'll be maybe an associate software engineer, software engineer one, two, senior software engineer, staff engineer one, two, principal. How do you think about those names and the number of rungs that there should be? That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it depends how well, I don't know. I can give you <laughs> my, uh, let's say, my, um, my opinion. This is just my opinion. I believe that uh, one thing that you should... Uh, actually you must avoid is to copy uh, an engineering ladder of company X, let's say, and uh, paste it in your uh, own company because I would advise against the bandwagon effect, right? You can't really copy cultures and you can't really copy uh, what works uh, in, in one company because it will for sure never work in your company. At the same time, however, I would not say that you should start from scratch, right? Because uh, there are actually many resources already available online. For example, I have used the progression.fyi website, which is uh, something like a, a database of uh, public engineering ladder. And I would say that you should kind of uh, study what other companies are doing we are lucky to live in a world with uh, many, you know, medium posts and resources available online. So you should study that and uh, see how you should adapt 
those frameworks to your company. You know, there are some some rules of thumb here, right? That you don't want to have lots of rungs of your engineering ladder which have a single or no individuals in them, right? That maybe is obvious, but they're saying you want to have a healthy number of people in each rung of the ladder and you want there to be a kind of clear division between them so that even if some individuals feel like they're on could be in one of two boxes you still want to be able to clearly say there is a there is a very clear difference between this role and that role from between that level and that level these things need to have changed and maybe that's that's a good moment to sort of talk about the different disciplines that the ladder examines so often in these ladders you you've expressed them with rows going across that are the the title the level of role that someone is at and then columns that express different kinds of qualities that you're you're looking for at each level so my first encounter with these was the the rent the runway engineering ladder which i believe i think it was camille fournier that wrote up the blog post on that and and released it that has four different strands i think dexterity which is technical skill and then str which i can't remember what it stands for but it's getting stuff done wisdom i think which is impact and then championing which is communication and leadership so i think for them they sort of tied each of those strands back to company-wide values how do you see the process of coming up with those and then describing what's expected at every level i think that uh probably all the ladders are pretty similar because they all have these kind of dimensions where they split responsibility, they group responsibility into areas. And I think the name of this dimension is something that you should adapt to your own company. For example, in Everly, we had five different dimensions. And one example that I... I I decided was important was, I remember, uh, scope. Because it was in, in our company, in, in the past company, the company where I worked for, having a broad and wider scope was important. So I, uh, I remember that uh, when I was thinking about the scope, I started from, you know, the feature level, meaning that uh, someone who has feature at the level of scope was an engineer who's uh, responsible for maybe fixing some bugs or tweaking uh, a features, uh, a simple feature. And it went up to company, uh, meaning that an engineer that has like company scope was someone who could be able to influence from a technical point of view the whole organization. So yeah, I guess that uh, these uh, steps within each dimension it's just a matter of you know taking some time and and clearly think about what could be a a right split and uh, i think that a cto should or a technical leader should not do this uh, work on his own meaning that it he should uh, involve also other people, maybe also HR in, in some way, but also other technical people, because it's important to have the buy-in of everyone. And it's also important always to involve other people, especially when you are doing uh, something that has an impact through the whole organization. You cannot you know, work 
from an ivory tower and think that uh, uh, everything will work uh, nicely then because your perception is different from the perception of other people in your team. I actually love that point, especially the bit about scope, because one of the things I've noticed about my role and the thing I've realized I find most different about my role now from any previous roles is is timeline. So I would, I think scope is right, feature, feature scope and company context. Um, but I think the other thing that's, that varies as you progress is the timeline you're thinking over where the most, the most sort of early in their career developer might be thinking, how do I fix this bug now? How do I achieve my goals by the end of the week? And then as you get more senior as a developer, you're thinking, how are we going to be able to maintain this feature in six months time? How are we going to architect this system so that we are still able to move fast in a year's time to then being part of the, the vision setting for the company and thinking, how do we achieve this kind of 10-year vision? Where do we want to be in a year's time? What do we need to aim for in the quarter? And largely being abstracted from the day-to-day. So that point about scope makes a lot of sense to me and actually I'd never considered before, but it really mirrors with with something that I have noticed. Yeah. One other thing, maybe this is uh, interesting. If you want to have, and I guess we all want, if you want to have engineers that are engaged and they participate also in uh, discussion outside the technical uh, scope, I think it's important to uh, not judge, but, you know, evaluate them from what we called uh, business acumen. Uh, We had one dimension that was business acumen, and this dimension was important to us because we wanted that engineer participated and help the business in solving business problems, right? So I guess that uh, this is a trick in a way. That's why I I said earlier that you have to adapt the ladder to your organization. Because if you want to have engineers that kind of influence the business or help the business in solving the problem that the company has, uh, if you clearly say that one dimension where engineers are also kind of evaluated, but it's an important part for their growth is the business acumen, then you are kind of... uh, forcing in a way, but in a positive way, to have engineers that they know that they have to contribute and propose solution rather than just, you know, writing code. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but this this was really, really important for us and it was really helpful. Definitely. And it, it does make sense. It's something we've talked about in previous episodes, the idea of the business being something other that software developers just who just want to write code and refer to the business as the rest of the company that we sort of need to break that down and say no no you are part of the business you need to care about what that what the rest of the company does we are not just code monkeys here we are people who are writing software to a purpose basically using the progression framework to express what you value and what you want people to do it's the sort of desired behaviors to then encourage those behaviors makes a lot of sense. Maybe this is a tricky question. Those frameworks often heavily lean on non-technical skills. So I think typically one or two strands of four or five will be 
will be very much about technical skill. It's the de- the dexterity point from the rent the runway example. When you're looking at those, how do you quantify them? How do you say when you write your your framework and then and say these are the levels senior software engineer? This is the technical skill level we expect, and this is the communication skills or the the way of thinking about scope or the business acumen we expect. How do you then come back and quantify those with a member of the team and say, here's where we think you are, and my justification for that is this evidence? Yeah, this is a very uh, tricky and hard questions, quite question to, to answer. I would say that ultimately you can't really quantify everything. It's very hard. It's not an algorithm, right? Ultimately, I believe that... Uh, quantifying and evaluating uh, someone is one of the most important responsibility of every manager. But, however, you can do something. So, for example, I believe that uh, when you write expectation, one thing that uh, is helpful is, for example, providing examples, real examples because in that case you are somehow quantifying so for example i can so for example we had uh, the expectation of an engineer in uh, the adopt step in technology was someone who actively learns and adopts the technology and tools defined by the team these are the expectation but we also added some example so what does it mean so for example in this case we are expecting someone that participates in software design for feature and bug fixes under direct supervision. Or also another example was uh, someone who completes most of the tasks on schedule, on time. I believe that if you are adding examples, real life, real case examples in your framework, that is helpful for quantification. Also, I believe that you should ask for feedback, maybe. So in Everly, when we had to evaluate someone, we had a process, the performance review process. And within the performance review process, we were using a 360 feedback, meaning that also peers were asked to kind of evaluate colleagues uh, so we can we could collect feedback from other person. So if you had this uh, 360 feedback, you as a manager can rely on also not your only data point, but also other people data point. And this should be something useful when you have to quantify non-technical skills. But as I was saying at the beginning, I guess that ultimately it's the manager jobs to, let's say, draw a line and make the quantification. Uh, and to decide. That makes sense. But I think your point about the coming up with examples sounds very helpful to me because then it's it lets you pattern match. It lets you say, well, you haven't done these things exactly, but what your work has been closer to that example than to that example. And therefore, we're going to put you in this box here, which helps a lot in that standardization. Yeah, exactly. Marco, I think that is a great note to end on. I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, as I always do. (laughs) Thank you, Howard. Likewise.